So there's something about building a product that can help a lot of people. And there is a challenge around building it, something that feels hard. But when you actually solve it, it's going to feel like magic. And then, of course, you know, sometimes you do have to go through, you know, that pain of like, you know, not every day is that exciting day, you know, where you're just enjoying the morning through evening. You know, you have to sort of, of course, go through the slog and the challenge and sort of handle difficult issues. And so I think it's part of the journey. Like you have to give something to get something back. And for me, like, you know, what I get back is basically the, the opportunity to build great products. Hi, I'm Jubin, operating partner at Kleiner Perkins, and I'm excited that you're tuning into Grit. The goal of this is not for it to be a highlight reel of how successful my guests are, rather a candid exploration of how hard it is both personally and professionally to create, build, and scale world-class organizations. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks. When you were walking around at reInvent, when we saw each other, you couldn't even make it to our meeting for like 30 minutes because every 10 steps that he would take, he just gets stopped. He's become like a bit of a local celebrity. I'm like, dude, you can't go anywhere. That's crazy. I guess Vegas isn't really local. No, the, no, no. But like the in, the, in the cloud world, he's like a total celebrity. We did have good interest at reInvent. You think uh, it was the hat? Could have been the hat, yes. <laughs> we were saying that Arvin's gone through like a metamorphosis. Remember the, I like the old hat. They're like kind of golfers. Yeah. 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 What is, what is, the what is Scottish. You yeah. Know, the the IV cap. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I guess we have to make one of those with the green logo on it. Yeah. Well, where do you put the logo though in the IV That's cap? right. That's, that's the hard one. <laughs> yeah. Maybe on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Is it odd going from relative obscurity? Again, meaning four or five years ago, this company was called... Do you know how to pronounce it? CEO. 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 Okay. Not CEO. CEO. And nobody cared. We cared. Mamoon cared. But nobody, customers didn't care at that point. Yeah. Now it's like, I don't know. Don't you feel like you're barely hanging on to every ounce of time that you possibly have because there's so much competition for it? It's just weird just like going through that transition in a relatively short period. Yeah. I mean, things are super busy for us now. I would say that like, you know, for Glean, there is a 180 degree turn in terms of like how the market sees us and then also what the market is. Mm-hmm. When we started, we were the only people interested in bringing a really good search product to employees in a workplace. And we had to convince people, we had to actually evangelize, you know, tell people why good search can actually help your employees become more productive. But we didn't have to compete with anyone. And when we go and actually, if we were able to evangelize and convince somebody that, yes, this was important, then, you know, our product would get adopted there. From there, we have actually gone to a completely different environment where now everybody is educated. Everybody knows that they need to embrace AI. They need to bring, you know, new productivity tools powered by AI to all of their employees. Mm. So Glean plays right into that. Like, you know, all the work we've done over the last five years is actually helping us build one of the best assistants. But now, of course, this is such a broad thing everybody in the world wants it that also means that you know we are now having to sort of compete yeah right, you know with many other players do the stakes feel different when you think about the business now does the pressure of the business feel less or more meaning yeah it's not going to die yeah. so that's a lot of progress but it's also like you know you have a lot of expectations around you 
it definitely feels much more pressure now. See, like, you know, when you were alone, you had the time, you had the luxury to take the things at your own pace. And you don't feel like that anymore. Now we have to make sure that, you know, we stay three steps ahead of competition. And also, like, you know, there's so much demand. So we have to be ready for every customer who wants clean today. So definitely higher stakes, you know, more competition, more urgency, and more pressure. How do you think about that? You've seen companies around this point. The name of the game is like execution from here on out with pace and urgency. If and when Arvind comes soon is like, what are the things that matter now that didn't matter a couple of years ago? Do you have strong opinions on it? It's always about execution. Mm. Even the day that Arvind started clean, it was about execution. At the time, the execution was different. It took a form of Arvind was a solo founder, so hiring first four or five engineers. And now it's about hiring lots of people, but it's also about executing on go-to-market, getting the product in the shape and form that can support tens of thousands of users at the largest companies in the world. And so we've all heard the saying, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's all about execution. And so I would say that Arvind and the team at Glean are top of the class in terms of execution. And taking an idea, which is you know, fairly obvious and has been around for, for decades, searching your corporate-wide stuff. So this is like a classic example of ideas are a dime a dozen. It's all about building an, actually like an incredibly hard product to build and distilling it in a very simple form, which is in the form of a simple box that you search and ask it questions around everything that resides inside of your company. I think executed perfectly to date. When Arvin came to you with the idea and you brought it to the partnership, didn't everyone kind of give you the same skepticism of search that Arvin was explaining earlier? Like, haven't we tried this before? Isn't this an obvious idea that has a graveyard full of folks that have tried and failed? Yeah, there's always the the why now. Why is it this different? Why is this team different? Why is the time different? Why is the ecosystem around it different? And you both know this. I've built my venture career around applications that allow knowledge workers to be more productive, whether it was like file sharing with Box or communications with Slack or design collaboration with Figma, things that allow people to have access to great tools that make them more productive at work. And one of the very obvious ones that didn't exist or hasn't existed in the cloud or online world is searching across all your knowledge inside of your company. And so, again, obvious idea. My first exposure to this idea was in 2005 in my first venture firm, a USVP. We'd invested in a company called X1. Do you know this company, X1? No. Okay. X1 was amazing. It allowed you to search across all your Outlook emails. And if email was where the repository of all the knowledge inside of a venture firm, really decks and Excel files, it actually allowed you to just find the right file at the right time because Outlook search in itself was very subpar. And X1 was amazing, but it was hard to get distribution. People didn't pay for it really. And it literally only searched across your desktop, your Windows computer at the time. And there was like 
not a lot of Mac computers at the time or Mac OSs at the time. And I was like, man, this thing is amazing. But the company, I think, didn't die, but I think it sold for not a lot of money. And I thought, what a shame. And this is in the pre-cloud world, pre-browser applications of the browser world. I put a pin in that one 18 years ago. And so in 2018, 19, I think when yeah. we spoke for the first time and you said, hey, this is what I want to go build. Okay, the time is now because almost all applications have now moved into the cloud. You can access those applications. There's tried and proven ways of doing that. And you can do some pretty meaningful search and getting retrieve things that are relevant. And then looking at Arvin's background and his work at Google and being one of the best technical people there for over a decade, it was like, he will build that team to go build the product that makes it all work and come together. At Kleiner Perkins, as you know, we're very much conviction led. And if the partner who's proposing an investment has deep conviction, they're able to go solo on it. And I don't think I went solo on it, but my recollection is that, you know, it was like, not like, sure, we believe you. This is your domain. And he has the right background to go pull this off. Yeah. Arvin, to Mamoon's point, like you are, I think it's, what is it called? It's a distinguished engineer, which is the highest form of engineer at Google. You spent 10 years there. Before that, you were the first engineer at Riverbed. Before that, you were early at Akamai. Then you co-founded Rubrik. The question that I ask myself all the time with you is like, Rubrik's going to go public at some point, and money is not going to matter for a very long time for generations of your family. So I'm like, he's enduring the pain of a startup almost for the love of the game. You could go work at a big company if you wanted to occupy your time. You could go join a larger startup if you wanted. Is that how you feel? It's not lost on me how much pain you go through when you have to, when you could do none of it. That golfer's hat would look good on a golf course and you could just, you could hang out there. How do you trade that off in your mind? I don't think I go through a trade off in my mind. I think building a product is actually something that an engineer likes. That's who I am. So when we were starting Glean, that was the same thought. Like I was really, really excited about building this product. You know, I just went through the difficulty of how hard it was for me to find things and be effective at work myself. And then, of course, everybody in my company in, at Rubrik was actually complaining about this. So there's something about building a product that can help a lot of people. And there is a challenge around building it, something that feels hard. But when you actually solve it, it's going to feel like magic. So it's the excitement. So the excitement that actually drives you to start projects, to start companies. And I do it. And then, of course, you know, sometimes you do have to go through, you know, that pain of like, you know, not every day is that exciting day, you know, where you're just enjoying the morning through evening. You know, you have to sort of, of course, go through the slog and the challenge and sort of handle difficult issues. And so I think it's part of the journey. Like you have to give something to get something back. And for me, like, you know, what, what I get back is basically the, the opportunity to build great products. Fair. And so for a while, you were building a product downstairs in the KP basement and you'd add more engineers and add more engineers. And for probably what, a year and a half, two years, it was just product in the basement. But now, how much product are you building? When was the last time you were hands-on keyboard coding in Glean? My engineers are thankful that I'm not (laughs) not doing it. Last time I 
coded at glean was probably 2020 okay i was coding till about one and a half years in okay but i do keep myself fully involved on the product side yeah so what should we be building what all the new product like features we should be adding to our product yeah talking to customers all the time to understand their needs and like figuring out like you know what features we should build to sort of meet those needs so that's that i'm still fully involved in yeah but there's also a lot of company building right now yep yes if your calendar was 100% product all the time would you prefer that well, i mean right now since i don't have it then the answer is yes cuz you know it's always you always try for something you don't have in some sense i actually have great peers folks like who i've built the company from day 1 on r&d you know co-founders from day 1 they've really built the product and my role in r&d from the beginning was to actually more be an engineer and support them mm-hmm. not be the leader there you can't build a company alone like you always have to have people who you build it with you have to have the leaders and i certainly desire to spend more time on product than what i'm able to right now so yes you know it would be great if i could do it more is it um energy draining for you to do all the other stuff when you look at the calendar and you do like an energy audit of your week yeah and you see the blocks of time that are marketing go to market sales interviewing how do you feel when you see it yeah no i actually like it so i actually really enjoy recruiting talking to people talking about glean's vision and getting them excited and bringing them on board that's a task i absolutely love and in fact i never thought i would but i've i've actually gotten to enjoy sales i'd never sold anything you know in my career before glean like i've started to do that now of course i talk to a lot of cios and learn from them like you know what are the kind of problems they're trying to solve for their employees and it's actually fun i actually enjoy it So these things don't drain energy from me. Yeah. I think if, if something was draining energy from me, I probably won't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Like in the sense that, you know, I'd sort of somehow figure out a way or an excuse to sort of get out of it. Mm-hmm. What sometimes become more stressful or like sometimes, you know, that sort of makes you feel tired is like, I think difficult decisions in general. Or like, you know, sometimes when you feel like, you know, you're trying to make progress and you're not able to. So I won't point like any specific function as being... something that i find more taxing yeah i've always wanted to ask him yeah I, i'm not the interviewer here <laughs> no yes yeah. you are what were you like as a kid what interested you as as a kid i mean mostly like i love to play sports and i think i still do that's one part of my personality that hasn't changed like be with friends play and you know i actually like you know it's interesting like i didn't actually have big ambitions growing up as a like sometimes you know, people say i want to be become a pilot or i want to be you know an engineer or a doctor i was just enjoying the the moment yeah <laughs> it was just like having fun like you know playing cricket playing tennis this is in know. india yeah and there was also being in a small town there was for a lot of us like maybe there was also this really non ambitious thing about okay like you know you're going to grow up and you're going to be doing you know what your parents do like maybe help them and their small business or whatever it is I didn't grow up with you know with a large ambition. It was actually accidental like you know how I became an engineer and, and but, but you don't just yeah. end up at IIT with no ambition. I mean that's actually a interesting story too like you know I I decided to actually appear for that exam because I actually saw like a brochure of a really fancy campus and it was in a large city so like it was my friends you know they were applying for it 
And I saw there's this opportunity to actually go from a small town to a large town, like go to Bombay or Delhi and study, you know, like in this really fancy campus and, you know, get out of the home for a few years. So that was a sort of the original spark for me. But then, like, you know, I started to actually, once I started to read and I guess I always enjoyed like, you know, science and math and all of that. So, so I was good at that. And I realized that actually I was actually good at that particular exam that I had to actually take part in. And that's sort of how I got started. But once you, once I was in the engineering school, I started to develop a lot more interest. So yeah, so it's a little bit like, you know, different journey from, from Did most your parents people. not push you? They didn't like, you know, that, and that's the interesting thing is we like, again, I'm, I'm from a relatively small town and they didn't have the awareness for it. They didn't even know what like engineering is or you know, what are the top engineering schools are. When did you start pushing yourself? Like, when did you start holding this really high accountability bar for, yeah. for you? I think it started for me mostly in the college. This college that I went to, you know, you had to actually really work hard to actually get in. Then you're surrounded by everybody who's, who's hyper-competitive. And even as playing sports for fun, you have that competitive drive. Like, you want to win that you know, match. And it's not that, you know, you're actually going to become a big player, but, you know, playing with your friend, you still want to beat him. So that competitive spirit I always had. And I think it just got like, you know, really, really honed at the college because like everybody in my college was super competitive. Do you think you're misunderstood that way because you're so mild-mannered and not outwardly competitive? I don't know. I I, I think people know I'm competitive. So. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And this thing about like hard work. Yeah. When did you come to the States? After school? Yeah, 96. And the hard work thing, did that develop while at school and just carried over when you came to the States? Yes. I mean, I, I think, well, well, I mean, I guess I would say I, I appreciated the fact that you have to work hard to succeed more in my jobs. In school, it was about, you know, if you're smart, you can really win and you can score well in exams. The idea was that like, you know, can you actually do it without working hard? That makes you even more cool. Mm-hmm. Once I started to work, you know, that's when I realized, and actually this is, I've told the story to some people. I was at Google and everybody was a superstar. Incredible academic credentials, top people. Like when I joined Google, I thought everybody was better than me for sure. And then like, you know, over the years I started to study, like, you know, some people would succeed and some people would become key leaders of the company versus others. I would look at like, you know, what distinguished them because they all had the same amazing academic backgrounds and the level of smartness. And basically what distinguished people was hard work. And that's what matters. Like you have to be driven to succeed. There is no substitute to it. It doesn't surprise me now where when we talk about people on the Glean team, it's couched in how hard they work. That's generally one of the first things that you say about someone is like, yeah, she's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. I just feel like that there's a lot of street cred in your book for that. When you were in year 10 of Google, your life was, again, I go back to like this glutton for startup pain. Like your life was so good. You're one of the top engineers at Google. That's a very good place to be. This was in the heyday of Google's ascension. I don't know. When did the tickle of leaving even come up? Google was actually, it was a great company for me. So I didn't have this real dissatisfaction that like, you know, I had to actually go do something else. Like I used to enjoy it. I got good opportunities there. But there was always this desire to sort of try to prove myself more, do something, you know, that I had not done. I had this excitement. And I think if you're in the Valley, that's sort of what most top engineers would like to do. They want to be entrepreneurs. They want to actually start a product. They want to build it from scratch. 
to build a company they want to succeed and prove themselves so i had that and it was sort of growing over time as as i spent more and more years at google the actual like how we started rubric was not based on that determination that i had to do something but i was in a state of mind that i want to do something and luckily like you know the founding team of rubric you know we got together we decided that we like you know let's go and build a company and so it sort of happened that way it was like i was not actually thinking about exploring product ideas and evaluating like 10 different ideas and pick one and then start a company like it was sort of more that you know we got together with the rest of our founding team at rubric in fact they had the idea that like you know we should solve this problem and it made sense to me and then we jumped in have you ever viewed yourself as a big company or startup person meaning did you ever ask yourself if you fit into one of those buckets neatly yeah i think i i do fit clearly in the early stages yeah uh, of the company yes when you were at rubric does where glean is today remind you of certain inflection points like that feeling of things coming together like you had at some point in rubric do you experience the same types of feelings yeah absolutely i mean i think the the biggest validation of that you have something valuable is when people start to pay for your product people who don't know you are they take their product they try it out and they actually are willing to pay for it for me that's the first proof of that you built something useful and then you start to scale it and it's a, it's a continuous journey so like and you know at the current stage of where we are at glean is very clear to me that we have built a very valuable product something that's going to have a big impact on everybody who works you know in the world it's our opportunity to lose at this point how much did you think the rubric in air quotes playbook could be applied to glean and how much actually how similar were the steps that you took and maybe what was different and what overlapped i i actually feel like everything is completely different like you know how we built rubric versus how we built glean part of it is that it was also the role like you know i at rubric there were three of us and i was actually very fully focused on building the product only not the business you know here of course i had to actually focus on building the business both companies are enterprise software companies but the products are very very different the glean product is meant for every person inside a company it's a wall to wall deployment versus at rubric it was actually meant for typically like you know one person in a 1000 people company and that was a person that you would go and sell the product to and they would be the users of the product too so with a lot of flexibility at rubric i would say to go and aggressively build the go to market motion go and sell the product before the product actually is ready you know to work because you have relationships you know everybody who you sell to you actually built a relationship with them and they support you in actually taking the product to where it needs to go before it becomes useful to them at glean we didn't have that luxury when we go and sell the product to a company all the user users they actually have no idea who we are we have no relationship with the actual end users so you have to build a product that absolutely works all the time cannot crash cannot suddenly go down it has to be rock solid our journey in, in glean was much more like you have to build a really really good product before you like significantly expand the go to market motion but maybe just to jump in here you could have gone to market very differently yeah every worker inside of a company should be using glean should have access to, to glean and what do most companies that have that sort of product do they go 
they go PLG bottoms yeah. up. Yeah. And maybe you just talk about why you didn't go bottoms up. Yeah. I mean, we had a big desire to do that because, you know, that sort of creates acceleration. But for our product, like, you know, it's difficult. The enterprise data knowledge, you know, that any individual needs inside the company, it's actually spread across many, many different systems. And you have to actually, to make search work inside a company, you have to connect with all of these systems. There are a lot of security problems to deal with. As an end user, like you can't put all the burden of connecting all of the different systems to them. And you'll run a foul of security, you know, requirements and practices in the company. So there's, there were a lot of, you know, challenges for us. So even though this was an end user product, like, you know, we felt that, you know, for what we are building, we had to actually go and work with the IT teams and not become a shadow IT player. Mamoon, how do you reconcile what Arvin is saying about the first company, Rubrik, which was a tops-down enterprise go-to-market with a technical product that Arvin co-founded, does it again, and says they're completely different. Whereas I feel like in VC land, there is a lot of tropes around second-time founders. They've seen the playbook before. They know this song and dance. But when you talk to founders that have built businesses before, they tell you it's a completely different thing. Yeah, what gives there? I think it's completely aligned with how a second-time founder utilizes the toolkit that they've built up in their prior company, which is around hiring, recruiting talent. That playbook is probably the most critical playbook that a second-time founder has. And the people that they worked together before in the trenches, whether at, in this case, Rubrik or even at Google prior to that, that is the critical ingredient and toolkit that I think Arvind had. For me or us investing in the company at the time, it was he's going to attract the brightest people who can work on search. And that is exactly what happened soon after. Is like Arvind recruited some exceptional co-founders who helped them build this product. And so the tropes of second-time founder selling into a market, infrastructure market, enterprise software, utilizing the same go-to-market sales book, it's a different snowflake here. And I think we all recognize that and we weren't trying to apply like, well, you know, we did it. This is the way we did it at Rubrik. This is why well, I could have said this is the way we did it at Box and then at Slack. And applying those lessons are the tropes. And I think it's upon us, investors and founders alike, to know when it's a different snowflake. And we knew we had a different snowflake. And that's why we I asked the question about the go to market here. We did have conversations about around the bottoms up PLG motion. But it was clearly the wrong. And there are companies that do that today, that have products in the market that allow you to search across your files inside your company that are bottoms up. And clearly would have been the wrong move. And I think, you know, to give credit to Arvin and the team, you could have gotten it wrong so many ways with Glean. In fact, I think where we are today is on an exception basis because I think most roads led to failure. Every juncture led to a different path and we took almost like every path along each juncture to get to this place. Did it feel like uh, roads of failure were near along the way? Did you feel that or didn't even cross your mind? No, it didn't cross my mind. I think partly because, you know, I think we're still, like I would say, you know, we're early in our journey. Yeah. There is ultimately no question that the nature of how we work is going to change in the future. All of us are going to have really smart AI-based assistants 
that are actually going to do a lot of our work for us. So on a secular basis, like if you think about where the world is headed, you know, we are marching towards that from a product perspective. So we never had any doubts that are we building the right thing or the wrong thing. It's been like absolutely clear. I think that conviction, I don't get easy conviction, like, you know, for, for a lot, you know, in general, like, you know, like, you know, I'm an engineer, so like I have, you know, doubts about everything. But somehow I don't have doubt about this one thing, which is that like, you know, all of us are going to have really powerful AI assistants. We, when we started our company, our positioning and our branding was that we are a workplace assistant. We actually had to change it because nobody liked the worked assistant for some time. <laughs> so it would go back and focus. And I hated about, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, we had to talk about search, but now it's back. Now everybody's a workplace now, assistant. Yeah. 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 So that's one thing that's been clear to us that there is a clear product need in the market and we're still very far away from actually getting to that, like that level of the product that people are going to expect in the future. I didn't feel anywhere in this journey that, oh, like, you know, we're close to, you know, maybe this is not going to work. It is always felt more to me that yes, we're on the right path and the destination is far. That's been the, how we felt. But then in the last one year, you know, we have actually a lot more confidence that we actually are on this path and ahead of others and actually doing a really good job because, you know, now we have the world's most amazing companies using Gleam and they love it. And so it's sort of like, you know, the level of confidence is, you know, higher than ever before for me. This week I got an email from a friend of mine, um, works at one of the largest companies in the world to be asked to be introduced to Glean felt like a, a moment that I will remember because it just means to me that th- the words really out. It was special, felt special to me. Yeah. I want to ask you, how did it feel to you? I mean, that's, that's incredible. Like I think when you have you know, the amazing leaders from the best companies Who in was the it? world. We'll bleep it out. Uh, <laughs> oh uh, yeah. It's incredible it, it's, to it's, use, to use the product. Yes. For their internal operations, yeah. See, the people have always been aware of the need for a product like ours. And the last one year with the AI revolution, it has basically created that sense of urgency among everyone. That yes, like, you know, I need to, if I don't invest now, if I don't invest in my people, bring them the right tools, make them more productive, then I'm going to be left behind. So so it feels amazing. Like, you know, when you see like all these great companies like, you know, coming to us and then of course buying the product and bringing it to their people. And the thing that feels the best to me is when somebody shares with me like a social media post of an employee at a, at a really iconic company talking about how clean has changed, how they work. And, you know, sometimes I've seen comments like, oh, I can't actually now work at a non-clean company anymore. That feels it, really it good. It is amazing. Can I give you my Holy shit moment with Galena happened recently. Yeah. Well, so I was looking in my inbox all the way back for something that I was trying to find for Arvin. One of the first emails I ever sent to him was four years ago. And I'm like, dude, congrats on deal number one. I think it was 12K will never feel this good again. And I'm sitting in this CIO group that we host at Kleiner Perkins. And there is a CIO of a serious tech company sitting next to me. Glean, everyone's talking about Glean all day. The CIO to my right is not using Glean. And he says, I have one priority over the next two quarters, and it's to bring in Glean. And if I cannot do it, I'm quitting. And I'm like, who says that about a technology product? That was part one. Part two, the CEO of what we would consider probably one of the top two to three most preeminent AI companies today is 
sitting there doing a demo and he goes to open a new tab and to get to where he wanted to go, he uses Glean to get there. And I was like, what is going on right now? This is unbelievable. That's incredible. It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Feels great. As an engineer, there must be nothing like that feeling of the product that you built in the hands of people. It strikes me that it's very rare to have a product in tech that people actually love. Like if you look at the daily and monthly and weekly active users, it's insane. Like I really think there'd be, and I'm playing for the home team, so I'm biased, but I think there'd be mutiny if you got rid of Gleam. It's just so rare to have that. That's got to be like the most gratifying feeling. Absolutely. That's like we started Glean, you know, with, with that being the goal. I mean, like, you know, we saw there was a opportunity to build a product that people will find really, really useful. How often do you come back to that? Yeah, we can sit here now and talk yeah. about how cool it is. But as soon as the microphones turn off, yeah. you're going to like check your email. Yeah. And it's going to be full of problems or things that you have to deal with. Yeah. How often do you find that feeling of, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, this is so cool. This is why we're doing this. How often do you go back there? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think that's why I sometimes, you know, like sales or talking to customers because they're the ones who remind you of you know, how the product is actually being useful to them. And then I think the demos, like, you know, we do weekly show and tell, like at our company where you see like, you know, all the new work that the engineering team is working on. And those are some of the best moments for me to sort of get that positivity back, you know, in the mind after going through the struggle of things, you know, that are not working well. It's probably why in the Glean offices, there is quotes from customers pasted on all the walls talking about Glean to remind folks of that feeling, huh? Absolutely, yeah. Actually, you know, this is one thing which I share with our team often. So I have that benefit. I mean, I think the sales team has a benefit of actually being out there in the market and actually get all the positive feedback on the product and also customers telling us how much they need something like this. And our engineering team actually, they don't get a chance to actually get that. So yeah, so like, you know, I think the reminding them of this with the posters, with the win notes, like, you know, as we win like new deals, sharing customer feedback, those are some of the, the big things to sort of keep, you know, that positive energy inside the enterprise. Going back to AI, like requisite AI question, and I'll ask each of you, we're December, early December of 2023. That's where we are, right? Yeah. Are we underhyped, overhyped, or appropriately hyped? I'll start with Mimun. It's just the beginning. This is the beginning of the tidal wave. It's just a ripple. So with that, I would say answer underhyped. The level of impact it's going to have on every single human being, starting out with a lot of knowledge work that products like Glean allow us to all do. Like I'll give you an example. Like I'm on a lot of boards. Every time I get a board deck from, from my board meeting that's happening tomorrow, first thing I do, I forward that board tech to our Glean service, importer service. It responds back within a few minutes and I click on a link to Glean where it summarized the board deck for me just so I can start thinking about it right away as to what's about to come. And I'll go in and review it more deeply before I go into a board meeting, but it's getting me going. Uh, and just that planting the seeds of what I am to expect when I go a little deeper so I can start thinking about it during my day. That's a very simple example of where I already feel like it's made me twice as effective 
as a, someone who ingests a lot of information to then be more productive when I'm in, in a board meeting. And I think that's just a tiny example of the, of the ripple that's about to come. So is it the internet in 1994 or are we at internet of 1997? I think it's probably closer to 1994 than 1997 actually. So it is, in my opinion, underhyped. What do you think, Arvin? Yeah, I mean, I fully agree with Mamoon. I think in general, I think like, you know, us as humans, like, you know, we have limitations. I don't think we can really see that far on how transformative or big something is going to be. Like, you know, it's true for everything, like, you know, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's internet, whether it's mobile, like nobody would have predicted what has happened 15 years, like, you know, later. So I think we have the history of underappreciating what a new piece of technology is going to do to the world. With that said, I think there is, in the AI space, I feel like there was a little bit of overestimation of, and I think that also happens, you know, like typically in these cycles, there was a little bit of an overestimation of what AI can do today. I think people saw chat GPT and, and suddenly they felt like AI can do everything in the world. No job is going to require humans anymore. That, you know, like, you know, so it sort of started with that mindset. And I think the reality has kicked in a little bit now that, well, I mean, AI is really, really powerful. You still need to do a lot of work to actually make it work for you. And I think we're seeing the same in the enterprise, like, you know, for, for even for our product, it's very powerful to actually use these language models and help users, but it's also hard. So we are going to go through a lot of like R&D and innovation that's going to happen over the next few years. Some things may take longer to materialize to get that productivity gains than what initially people hope for. But if you look at, you know, from a long-term perspective, like we are certainly underhyped. From a technology perspective, one of the things that struck everyone over the last year is how quickly things have evolved. Yeah. Do you feel like that pace can continue? I think the pace is increasing. I mean, I think the you're going to see models and improvements, you know, to those models actually all happening at pace greater than before. There will be some stability. Like I remember March, April of this year where our AI teams, our engineers were actually finding it very stressful to actually develop on these new systems because like every week the technology was changing and what you did the week before, now you feel like, oh, I need to change it. There was this like really, really sort of, I would not even call it fast, I would say unstable phase that we went through because it was so early, like the technology. But now there's stability, like now, like everybody sort of can actually plan and do a three months project, you know, with AI. With that said, like the pace of everything is, is actually increasing. You're seeing whether it's models, whether it's, you know, the quality improvements within those models, whether it's the cost of running them. Everything is basically moving at a pace faster than before. Pretend Mamoon's not here. Pretend you're not in the KP office. How do you pick venture capitalists? I'm genuinely curious because you have all the great venture firms on the cap table. If they're not on the cap table, they're all trying to get on the cap table now. How do you decide? I think first and foremost for me, like this is how we've decided in the past is like, you know, you're trying to actually find people who really believe in what you want to solve, your mission. Like they have to sort of feel the power of like, you know, what we're going to build themselves so that, you know, you don't spend the next five years just trying to get on the same page with them. So that's number one. That was, you know, clear for us when I connected with Mamoon initially, like, you know, like I immediately felt that. But he got what I'm saying, like he believed in, you know, 
the product that you know that you wanted to build so that's number one number two you look for a personal connection like you know you try to find people you like you know because you know we're going to be working very closely over time and then after that there are the other things you know which are like core business things like you you want to actually like for me i prefer working with firms like who can support us in the long run like you know that who have the reputation to be the top investors who have the ability to sort of bring capital to us um so those are some of the criteria yeah okay um, and and also like you know the other thing is this is a people driven business and you know my process of selecting an investor is always talking to my friends like who are founders who work with them and sort of learn from them what the experience is like do you think he has a little parker to him where so parker conrad yeah. Yeah. talks about how he hates fundraising and how he's not a good fundraiser and how the only thing that he focuses on is building the business and they will come and yeah. maybe we're kind of like you're a good fundraiser do you think arvin has a little a little of that to him yeah i don't know if you've actually fundraised for glean at all officially like yeah, put I together a deck and actually yeah. raised your a <laughs> your b your c your yeah. d i don't know have you done a traditional fundraise we ever? no we haven't i don't think he hates it actually find every conversation to be very open candid but it's just that you know i think he invests his time on building the company and building a product and the internals of the the company and i think the the fundraising stuff just or the funding for the company just follows and in that world where people are trying to give you more money when do you decide to take more money are there signals in the business or yeah what's that trigger for you Yeah, I mean it's actually Or is it oh, sorry, I don't know. Yeah. Opportunistic, grab as much as you can because you don't know what the market's going to do. No, we haven't done that like, you know, as an example, I think in 2020, 21, companies were raising every every 6 months and we didn't do that. You know, it does take time, take takes, you know, it's a distraction always like, you know, to actually go and run this process, it's complicated. So you do it when you need it. I mean, that's sort of the approach that we have taken. And the needs maybe Uh, not because oh like you know you don't have the funds to run the company after 6 months like for example right now or like last year we had a moment where we have a really good product we have a great lead the entire market needs our product so it's time to go big it's time to go big then you know that sort of you know dictates that you like you should actually go raise some more funds when you turn off uh, do you turn off when you wake up in the morning yeah what do you think about the first thing in the morning do you go to your email I mean yes I do. I mean I think yeah I need to learn how to turn off. <laughs> it's a, it's a not happening. Just, yeah, yeah, come on. You're not going to you're going to learn now. <laughs> yeah. So it's a yeah. Wait, can you why yeah. do you say that? Do you feel like you need to learn how to turn off? I think so like you know I enjoy working. Like I think of it as a hobby. That's what I mean. What are you going to turn off? The reason I mentioned that I need to learn sometimes you know to sort of draw boundaries is first like you know, you know I yes I, I love to work. but i think like now also have family and like need to make sure that like i'm i live a little bit of more of a balanced life but second i think more important i would say i think like running the company there's this stress there's stress in running it and i think like if you sort of have some boundaries i think you know you can actually do a better job at i i think i i've so i'm actually trying to figure out like how to be more effective right now and i i have this conclusion that like and i'm on a non-stop i'm working all the time and i think if i actually took Two hours out from the schedule, I think I'll probably get more work done. So that that's what I meant by I'm trying to actually figure some new things out right now. Okay, but don't you also think that 
the fact that this feels like play to you when it feels like work to others, going back to my earlier point of why mm. are you doing this? It's for the love of the game. It literally yeah. feels like yeah. your favorite sport. Mm-hmm. Do you want to turn that off? Isn't that actually the thing? That is your magic sauce? How is someone going to compete with that? Does that make sense? I would say that like, if you're building a startup, you have to have that. You have to really enjoy building the company. You have to actually enjoy building the product. You have to believe in it. These are table stakes. Like, you know, there's no way for you to succeed if you don't have it. And not just me, like, you know, our team has to have it. Everybody has to have it. When I say that, you know, I need to figure out how to turn off. I'm not talking about turning off the whole thing. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about like how when I wake up, maybe I need, you know, one hour of something else before I start working. That's, that's what I meant. Fair enough. Well, I appreciate you both doing this. I wrap all these things the same. The first, are you hiring? Is there anything you're not hiring for? Uh, right now we're hiring across the board, yes. And if you want to work at Glean, ping Mamoon, ping me, ping you? Yeah, all of us. Yeah, whoever you feel comfortable with. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you hear the word grit, what do you think of? What comes to mind? You know, the same like building the company, like, you know, it requires that grit. And that's what comes to my mind. Like, you know, that we have to be on this journey and magic will happen so long as, you know, we want to make it happen and we persist. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank yeah, you so thanks. much. That's it. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to come back every Monday morning to listen to a new guest or go back into the archives when we've done more than 100 episodes. This podcast is a Kleiner Perkins production and the episode was edited by Eric Johnson from Lightning Pod. Thank you all.